Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I have two kids. Both of them are screaming at me. And maybe there's a music on or the TV on in the background, and I just uh, overloaded. I hate uh, screaming at the kids, but uh, um, it just uh, gets a little bit too much. I'm trying to do more planning, but uh, I know that I need to take care of myself. I am very open about my situation and my stroke with other mums or dads. They didn't ask me anything. I'm launching a blog and I'm going to be trying to show people how I make my um, wardrobe accessible and make you feel better about um, my life. Hello and welcome to On A Good Day with me, Elizabeth Callahan, And me, Julia Ajay. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate each and every one of you. And for a small favour, please do subscribe to this podcast and like and review it, as well as sharing with your friends and family. We'd be so, so grateful. We're also on Instagram, onagood.day, and Twitter, onagood underscore day. On today's show, we're talking to Alison and Rob Allen. They'd been together for just two years when Alison had a stroke. Age just 25. Now the couple are navigating parenthood together. In this episode, they tell their story and honestly share the challenges of bringing up two young girls while living with the effects of Alison's brain injury. Alison and Rob, welcome to On A Good Day. Thank you so much for coming on. Are you having a good day today? Uh, we just uh, had a little walk in the sunshine. It was nice. So yes, we're having a good day. I'd say so. Yeah. Very important to get out, especially when the sun's shining and so good for your well-being, isn't it? And are you having a good day, Elizabeth? I've been out in the sunshine as well. I went for a run this morning, so I'm I'm feeling good. How about you, Julia? I'm looking out. I'm looking forward to going out in the sunshine. So I'm having a good day looking at that in the future. So, Alison, let's start with you and just talk us a little bit about your story. You were 25 when your life changed dramatically. And as I understand, it wasn't picked up that you were having a stroke to start with. Just tell us a little bit about that. The short, long version is uh, in uh, October, my um, dad... uh, 
um, had a heart attack in New Zealand um, and I needed to go home. So I'm New Zealander. I needed to go home to look after him for a month. So um, work let me go. Um, and then when I came at home two weeks before I had my stroke, in I think the week leading up to my stroke, I had a really bad headache. Um, and it was just not shifting and I'm not, it was just a weird. And I was like, oh, I'm really tired. I'm really tired. I got to the point that I went to the doctors. I needed to um, get some other medication refilled. So that was kind of why I went. Um, and I was like, oh, I'm having this massive headache. I don't, I, I know it's just because I'm tired, but like um, maybe could you give me something or just to check me out? Um, and it was a locum doctor. He was young and he checked my eyes and um, checked my blood pressure and things like that. Uh, he didn't see anything. Um, and he thought I had a swine flu. It was a, when a swine flu was going around. He prescribed me cocodamol. So I was like, okay, okay. Um, and when I went out of the, the doctors, I saw a stroke thing, um, advert, and I was like, oh, I, I couldn't even, I couldn't be having a stroke. And so that was in my radar after um i went back to work um i walked back to work and it was cold um and i couldn't do my zip up and i was like why can't i do my zip up i just uh, i couldn't it didn't even feel like my hand wasn't working or anything i was just uh, saying why can't i do my zip up i'm really tired so we got back to work um, and it was in the afternoon. Um, so I was shutting down for the day on a, a Friday. I was needing to arrange a taxi for my boss. And I was like, I can't even write an email. I'm so tired because I'm, yeah. So I can't even write an email. Then I was, I was like, okay, my friend was meeting me for dinner. Um, but an early dinner. So she came in about 4.30. I was still struggling to write this email. Um, and I was like, okay, I can read, uh, um, do that later on. And I went to the kitchen and poured two um, cups of coffee. And I just dropped one of the cups. Um, and I was like, I don't, why did I do that? It's just a weird, it just, yeah. And I was like, I'm not sure what's going on, but it, everything was, I'm tired. So I went to meet my friend, um, we did some shopping and I was in Gap looking at uh, um, jerseys for my dad. And the words that I was saying was not the words that I was thinking. So I was, Sigeeking gobbledygook, and I was me and my friend were like, "Why am I doing this?" And I was like, "I'm not sure what's going on." And I was like, 
okay, uh, this is weird. Um, and then it went fine and I was back to normal. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to go to Boots and just sit, tell them what has happened. And so I've got this uh, prescription, so I w they will get fill it in and see what they say. Boots was like, hmm, um, it's weird, but if you've just uh, been checked out, and he, he, he just, she said, oh, has he done your eyes? And I was like, yeah, he looked at my eyes and things like that. Everything's fine. Um, and she's like, okay, well, um, if uh, anything um, changes, call the doctor. And I was like, okay. So we went and had dinner, had a glass of wine. Um, and my friend was going um, to catch train. So we went to, to Richmond um, train station. And my phone battery was dying and I was going to walk home to Isleworth and my friend was like but maybe it's not that safe why don't you just get a taxi and I was like oh yeah we'll just uh, get a taxi as we were saying goodbye my weird um uh, talking came back and then mm -hmm. I was like something's really wrong and I was getting a bit anxious um and my friend was like what is going on and she was like okay let's uh, get into the taxi and then uh, um, I sorted out well I will come back to your flat in the taxi um I well Rob would um, go on but um it was I had my stroke in the taxi and my friend yeah. was with the, a taxi driver and the taxi driver just it took me to Westmid um, and I don't know, I think the taxi driver had to um, carry me in I or something. I don't know. He spoke in the taxi and I and we sort of said, just go to hospital and basically just, and say you were having a stroke. We didn't know what was happening. Or something. Yeah. And so and then on the back of that, yes, you went to Westmead and this and was a stroke. And then, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. That's how it happened. Yeah. yeah. Westmead didn't really understand what what was happening. The, the specialist unit was Charing Cross. So basically, they thought, okay, it's, it's, we can't manage this, therefore Charing Cross, off you go. And so you were blue-lighted to there. So you, but you were induced in the coma at Westmead? No, no, I think, yeah, I was induced in the coma at Charing Cross. In Charing yeah, Cross. Yeah. And then um, I went, actually, you... Um, you were asleep by that. Yeah, <laughs> so, I... Um, so yeah, yeah, between Charing Cross and uh, yeah, induced coma for 12, oh. 14 days, I can't remember. don't know. There was a kind of, a, there's a cusp of basically when she's going to be kind of tracheotomy because of her condition. So they stopped the the medication to maintain her, to maintain the coma, and she was very slow to come out of it. And so they just didn't know whether to actually do the tracheotomy therefore to maintain her life or whether she's going to come around herself. And um it was quite so when so we were getting towards the sort of day ten or twelve. Or but you uh, you haven't mm -hmm. um, told them that I had a surgery. Yeah, surgery. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's well, yeah, no, but but um, so I had a sort of craniotomy, so mm. uh, bilateral craniotomy, visually very different and um, obviously quite alarming in that context because obviously so and Alison's brother. Uh, also from New Zealand, but he was over with his girlfriend uh, traveling Europe. And um, so obviously we let him know and he was trying to get back to see Alison. Um, I think he was in 
the Czech Republic at the time, bank holiday, no flights. So he was very, very stressed and then trying to get back to see his, see his sister. And um, so this one, so they got back after the surgery. And so basically, and then just, yeah, so Alison looked very different from obviously from work, from Gordon's little sister that he knew. So, was, yeah. Um, so yeah, so a very sort of anxious time and sort of, and stressful and it's very much removed one's own. You can't. There's nothing you can do about it. It's a question of time in many ways. Yes, you're the specialist and neurologist helping um, directly, but it's still it's, it's time. But it's Alison's brain recovering at its own pace in many ways, yeah. and that's kind of what we had to sort of absorb at the time. And, and that recovery process took a while. And basically, we just it's touch and go with the tracheostomy, and then sort of. On one occasion when I was visiting, we sort of, um, I think, Stu's had sort of uh, support, I think, not a track of waste, but still sort of um, oral support. And um, one of the nurses came to adjust it for her. You can see in Alison's expression, she's, she got a bit annoyed with it. She said, what, what are you doing? Sort of, but obviously not verbalising, but basically her, Alison's character was exactly there. So it's really warming for myself to see that. As you say, she's not gone anywhere. She's just having a bit of a sleep right now. After that, woke up and took a little while to yeah. come around again. So, yeah, yeah. that's very well. It's hard to be the partner and to see that, isn't it, Rob? It is. It's kind of, it's just, it, it, you, you question a lot of things at the time, basically, but obviously, just you're, you just want to be there for, I also want to be there for Alison. And, and obviously, and, and then sort of family and friends being trying to understand what's going on as well and, and not understanding oneself. So, quite early on, having understanding that it's Alison's brain that needs to recover and that just takes time. So, okay, it's, there's nothing that me adding stress to an environment like that doesn't help and and for others and so it's like this is what's happening this is where we are tomorrow's another day we'll just see where this this story or this journey takes us that's a really calming viewpoint that i think a lot of families struggle with yeah. but it doesn't help the stress of other people and the anxiousness of other people bringing it into hospital rooms is is quite unhelpful so well done on navigating that yeah, but, but but it's all it's all very human reactions and responses. But you want everybody wants to help in some way. But it's but it's it's there's nothing to be done in that way. I've it's also time. got a question for you about that period, Rob, because you're actually a physio yourself, aren't you? So you're used to a hospital environment. You're hospital based. Yeah. But it's interesting hearing you talk about um, your role at that time and I guess with Alison's family not there and in New Zealand and um, your brother traveling and I know at the time you two were going out together you weren't married then um, but it sounds as if you had a lot of responsibility for that role of kind of communicating with with other people is that right? Yeah, and also Alison's friends were very helpful as well. Obviously, Alison's one of her flatmates were very good at sort of letting sort of people know as well. So we kind of doing sort of shared that sort of communication and sort of got the right people to know what was going on and just trying to keep them in the loop. So Alison's cousin uh, was living in Geneva at the time, so she came over. And then um, my work, um, actually flew my dad and my other brother over. And then I think my dad kind of stepped in. Yeah. As, but he just had heart surgery as well. So my dad actually moved over. So it was quite a busy time with lots of family and visitors and people needing to be kind of looked after in their own different ways, as well as yeah. you in a coma in hospital. Yeah. From my point of view, 
my dad was very protective after my, when I woke up, I looked horrendous. Um, so I didn't have my um, half my skull, um, but it was all like a really big and bloated and not great coming to see me in... Yeah, I think quite early on. I think later on, you sort of, when you're in Norfolk Park, you say... Well, you, you yeah, but the, um, my, uh, a really good friend, Cam in Erie, um, actually just came to Charing Cross and um, asked to see me. And my dad was like, oh, oh. And I was like, no, it's fine. I well, I could I couldn't speak, but I was like, let them in. I I want to see. I need to uh, see what's going on. Yeah, see people yeah. have different kind of conversations, even if you can't input too much to it. But know yeah. that people are there and love you, yeah. and you know want to see you. That's really important. I also understand your father wanting to be protective in that way. I totally understand. I think I had a bit of that with my husband as well in the very, very early stages when he was just coming out of his coma, when he was in his coma, when he was just coming out of it, that I was felt very protective and yeah. felt that I didn't want him to have a parade of people just kind of coming to have a look and, you know, I wanted there to be really meaningful visits yeah. from close yeah. friends but yeah. there was a lot of interest from a lot of people so trying to manage that was certainly a yeah. process you know that I was that I had to try and understand what yeah. I, you know what he might want and what would be best yeah. for him at the same yeah. time as making those decisions myself so I found that a challenging time yeah. yeah yeah I get that and I think actually it's preparing the friends a bit as well because it can be a bit of a shock for them to see their friend that's not quite their friend. And you, I guess I had got used to seeing Paul as he was. Their character, like Rob, you were saying about the character. And I, and I really remember that about Paul because he's quite kind of feisty. And as soon as I kind of saw him display that, I was like, he's going to be okay. It's, it is, his essence is still there. It was kind of a relief. Now, jumping down the timeline a little, you now our parents to two children, two young children. And that yeah. has brought, I'm sure, a whole host of different challenges and enjoyment and a different lifestyle for you both. Yes. Um, Hope is six and Laura is nearly four. We are finding life a bit hard and difficult. We don't have family around so we are doing this um by ourselves so we have uh, excellent neighbors that um help around and like it we're fine but um it's a bit challenging what are the challenges that you're facing particularly <laughs> um me myself i had my stroke at 25 i Yes, I have a. I knew that I have a cognitive difficulties, but it it didn't really affect me. Now that I've had kids, I know there's a lot of different things that are really difficult for me. Actually, the last year I've actually did a therapy 
and I went and it got my cognitive testing done again um, because I was like, I, I don't know what this is because my fatigue is immense and that was immense before kids. There's, um, I was like, is this a, just a, having kids that does this to you? I find it, I, I think everyone um, with the kids that will understand, there's so many noises that uh, interrupt your thoughts. Um, I have two kids, both of them are screaming at me. And maybe there's a music on or the TV on in the background, and I just uh, overloaded. I hate uh, screaming in the kids, but uh, um, it just gets a little bit too much. The fatigue is immense, and I want to. I really want to work and do my creative stuff and things like that. I don't find the time to do everything. And maybe try and do some exercises um, and uh, do the house and things like that. It just uh, gets a little bit too much. I think uh, a lot of things that I didn't know that I found difficult through having kids and like uh, all the all the life admin it's like uh, all the WhatsApp groups and um, school groups and I need to do this and I've got, I need to get uh, one kid there and one kid there. And so I don't know how my cognitive difficulties are more. I, don't know. I think they're, very much, they're put on the spotlight with those pressures. If yeah. Makes sense. So the deficits were there before and it's just now under pressure with, two screaming children, things to be done, time time frames to work to, it's 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 much harder. And so in that space, and it's I think it's the same for every parent, but I think it's just with Alison with them having a brain injury, processing capacity is less. And so it is more difficult. So we're trying to find solutions in some ways. And that's basically a lot of that about planning, about knowing, so having a meal plan. We, we do have certain things basically where we know on a, on so on a Thursday, on a Sunday evening, our eldest really enjoys cheesy pasta. So that's nailed on for a Sunday, which makes it much simpler. Yeah. And so it's, it takes that whole thought and processing element away. Um, and so I suppose it's, and we both can't help each other out with that as well, with the planning elements and yeah. trying to execute certain tasks. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, I think with children, basically just puts everything under more, more scrutiny. Really. But we're going to do an episode on neurofatigue, but also my understanding is that because you have the noises and all of that background has, has now increased since you've had children yeah. and you have more executive planning to do, that that your neurofatigue will also yeah. be impacted, I would presume, yeah. that you will be tighter as any parents are tighter but also because yeah. of the neuro fatigue from those kind of tasks that require um you know your brain to be working over time as well i find it really hard because i want to do a normal life but i have this fatigue and i have a, a condition that needs to be managed physically like a my physical health has gone really downhill 
because I don't have the time or the energy. And I know if I go for a walk like we did today, I actually is so much better for having a walk. So I walk with a stick. I gave up my buggy about a year ago and because the I couldn't I couldn't actually push the girls in the buggy anymore. Like it, it, the strength wasn't there. I got a motability scooter um, to do the school run. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before, I was actually doing a walk because I was um, taking them to school. But now I don't do the walk because I'm on the mobility scooter. So I have to actually having a specific time to have a walk. It's hard. And that will change as well. When they're both walking, you can probably go back. Like it's kind of that. Moment. So um, uh, Laura will work, be in school in September. I will have a one drop off and a one pick up. <laughs> Woo! They make such a difference. Yeah. Yes, I yeah. know. I have to say, bringing in a, a bit of my kind of insight with with Paul. So we've had some changing things, and and this is it. It is kind of living with the brain injury. I'm working a lot more than I was previously. And so a lot of the responsibility for him looking after the children and picking them up is is now on him. And, you know, sometimes I'll get home in the evening and he is so tired and I can see it. And often he won't recognise it. I think he's getting better at recognising it. But it's and again, it's the noise. It's it's everything that family life is about which is great but at the same time can be so difficult on your cognitive ability and he'll start kind of cooking something and then in the end I'll be like I'll finish it off because it's it's broken down and I'm like you go and sit down I mean I'll tell him to sit down but he probably won't but at least you're kind of looking at I think the planning the food planning is so good because it just takes another decision out this is our problem Yes, a, a food plan would be great if you're actually got it under control. But to get a food plan in place takes so much energy and um, mental brain spin, uh, space. So a lot of the time that we try and it, uh, we fail <laughs> because it, we're tired on a Friday, uh, Sunday night and go, oh, and the kids, uh, Laura will go, no, I'm just uh, eating um, tortellini. That's uh, all I'm eating for three days. Do they understand your fatigue? Do they, and, and obviously they are still quite young, yeah. but maybe the older so, one. Um, Does she help you out? Does she kind of adapt uh, when Hope was little from 
dot uh, day dot um i always talk to them as an, a normal per person not as a baby and i would always say okay okay you need to do this because mummy can't so we can help each other hope really realized a lot uh, she was getting her self dressed and things like that so she's very independent with laura we um decided to hire a nanny because laura's a covid baby so laura has different outlook on mummy's difficulties because my nanny would do lots of things so hope understands a lot more what mummy can and can't do laura's getting it now but she's still not understanding mummy's tired when the mummy says i'm tired give me five minutes she doesn't understand that but i'm hoping that will come yeah, really understanding young young children yeah. it's, everything for them is immediate therefore it's like I, I, but i want that cookie so why can't I, that I'm too tired to go and get it. So that that communication again is just it's very difficult for them. Yeah. Something that you said, Alison, earlier, which I which really resonated with me, and I think you've been so honest about some of those challenges, um, which I'm I'm sure are shared by certainly myself, Elizabeth, and lots of our listeners. But you made reference to the fact that you don't want to shout, but you you find yourself shouting. And yeah. I certainly know that with my husband, with Hector, that sort of going from naught to 10 um, very quickly was something that was particularly challenging when the children were younger. So our son was five when when Hector um, had his uh, subarachnoid. So I think that that's a very common experience, both because of the fatigue and the neurological overload um yeah. and and that kind of way of reacting is there anything else that you want to say about that in terms of how you manage it or the challenges around that i um, i try and try and um, i can have three days of not shouting and a bad day um when laura just will not do anything and i think um one time, a, a lot of the times, it's around time pressure. So hope has to be in school um, at this time. If we are late, we are late. We get to um, uh, scolded in the um, school ground and things like that. Um, but Laura doesn't understand that. So she um, will say, no, my dollies need it to be dressed. So <laughs> then uh, when uh, I have a time pressure and then uh, and a reasonable request for from a child, then I get that that sends me over the top. And then in the evening, it's um, too, just uh, too tired. I should take myself off and just uh, um, uh, have a break for five minutes. But so I feel like I have to do everything and get the, um, uh, like who cares if they have a pizza for dinner, actually. 
yes, I'm trying to do more planning, but I know that I need to take care of myself. One thing that we've implemented in the last few weeks, I will have a salad made on uh, on Sunday night. So there's three salads in my fridge because I'm I'm shocking at um, eating um, at lunch. So it's it's too I'm a, I'm too tired. So I will have a, maybe five chocolate biscuits. If I have a salad and a, a sit down, I'm better for the children at three o'clock. That's a great and I, idea. And otherwise, if yeah, if you're having lots of sugars, that's going to send your blood sugars skyrocketing, and then you're probably going to be even far more yes. tired. Because I really struggle with cutting and things like that. It's only in the last year that I'm trying to get into cooking. It's a process. Yeah, it's just just life that we're working at, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Rob, you are a physiotherapist. So how have you helped Alison along with her physiotherapy? Or is it quite difficult as... The husband I know my husband doesn't often li- listen to what I say and it can it's a different dynamic isn't it it's a very different dynamic it's, it's one can suggest things the communication is not there in that context but we can problem solve together so it's like we were away staying in a house and then Alison had to go up and down a spiral staircase and so it's actually really difficult and possibly unsafe but we yeah. talked about it worked out actually we can do this as almost like a rehab tool you have to walk backwards to use these muscle groups to yeah. make it better. And having practiced it a couple of times actually worked fine. And so we can so things are not insurmountable. We just, we just work them out. I suppose with a sort of physio hat on, you can do that more comfortably, I suppose. But again, it's with any any relationship, kind of, you can work through things. The benefit of me being a physio, but we, Alison and I both speak NHS. I think we've all said that before, but in the context that if Alison does need intervention from any sort of health sector, basically, but knowing how to navigate that, and it's, and it's, I think it's really important. I think it's really, and one of the going back a little bit to when at the time when Alison had the stroke and basically was in the acute setting and sort of having worked in acute setting before, that wasn't some a challenge for me. Whereas imagine for other people who don't work in healthcare, they come into this hospital where it is very invasive, very loud, and it's it is very difficult. So I think so Alice and I based on having that sort of understanding of the of the NHS systems and basically how health systems work sort of has been really helpful. Having you know, a good dialogue with the physios as well, just on work asking them what what we're trying to achieve, what's what do you think's going on, what we're trying to do. Um, but again, it's all come down to sort of goal setting. Actually, what does Alison want to do? What's what's important? What what are Alison's values really? So yes, yeah, so I think sort of day to day we just problem solve stuff like most couples. If I'm really sore. Yeah, and I can't uh, lift my elbow or something. Rob will go. Actually, this is this is the muscle that is not working, and things like that. So he can help me, or I'm my ankle is really bad, and he's like, "Well, actually, it's not your ankle; it's your hip." So he knows, and then how can you help me? And I have a um, uh, FES. Functional electrical stimulation. So I have uh, um, pads on my legs and a foot switch. So it makes my dropped foot go up. 
So it's a walking aid. Sometimes it doesn't work, but Robin knows the mat and the muscles and things like that. So he can, can help me. We don't have a physio patient relationship, but if uh, I need something, he can help and I don't have to go to the doctors. I don't want him to go get home from work and go, oh, Rob, can you give me a massage? He needs to have uh, some space from work. So it's good. We've... Yeah, I mean, but it's funny to say, we, we've often talked about sort of that work-life balance. Obviously, I, I work full-time in Chester, which is you, you do do long hours and so long days. And um, I'm currently doing half days on Fridays, which is really valuable, which means I can get back and actually spend time with the girls and help Alison take some pressure off Alison as well. If I could have those Friday mornings, actually, with Alison as a, as a patient, for a better word, one could, there could be much more progress almost. But the issue is it's the fatigue, it's the life, being just moving forward and so you can't so if we had more time I'd, I would like to be able to practice with Alison. Alison one thing I wanted to pick up on is that you mentioned being brought into kind of the school environment and meeting people that you that didn't know you before your stroke and assimilating into that environment that does have its challenges can you talk yeah. to me a little bit about that? So I'm from New Zealand, and I met Robert when I was very new to London. So all my friends, minus a few friends, are Rob's friends. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yes, I hope it's going to start school and I'm going to meet the, all these ni- nice mums. I came in with the, this expectation, and it's been great, but it's very different I am very open about my situation and my stroke if anyone asks me I'm happy to talk to them um uh, all the kids are always ask me um why do you have a stick or why does it in your hand move or things like that and I'm I'm quite open um but I found it really difficult with other mums or dads they didn't ask me anything when hope started i would i would just uh, i didn't have my motorability scooter and i was just the mum who had a stick i find my speaking is not great but i don't know whether other people find my speaking is a bit slow and stuttery Sudden, uh, suddenly i was uh, um, turning in on a this motability scooter and they were like uh what's what's why why are you doing this like why no one asked me about anything I always bring my stroke into conversation so if someone or they I will say oh before my stroke or after my stroke so my understanding that I'm I'm saying I have had a stroke that's that's because I know what a stroke is and all the difficulties that come with it having a stroke I don't realize that a lot of people don't know so I was finding that when I was really tired and I'm 
talking to people and I'm just not making that much sense or I'm a I'm talking around about ways and I can't um, remember certain names of things and things like that and I thought from people's faces they were like what is it what is going on what why can you just say it no one has a been horrible or anything it's just my perspective from uh, people's faces nine months into uh, hope we're going to school and we were having a a mum's drinks and uh, there's another mum randomly um who had has had a stroke as as well in hope's year and we were talking on in this drinks and we were talking about oh about our strokes and things like that and people were like, oh, you haven't had a stroke. And I was like, yeah, finally, someone wanted to talk about it. And then they, we, I was like, I'm happy to talk about it. And we talked about what I find difficult and things like that. And they were like, oh, everything makes sense now. And I was like, well, yeah, just you just need to ask me. This year has quite been quite challenging from that perspective. Someone said to me, why don't you introduce you when you start a new WhatsApp group at school and things like that? And just to say, and just to, to let you know, I've had a stroke. Um, so if uh, you come up to me and I'm uh, having a bad day and I, feel I can't, remember your name it's not about not remembering your name but I've had a stroke so I have difficulties with the um, speech so it's just uh, trying to get that across to people that I feel need to know and get it across sooner rather than later just be open with people I believe if you uh, open and honest with people, they will be open and honest back to you. A lot of people with the disabilities don't, and um, they decide to say nothing, and that people should take them as they are. And I don't, I, I totally understand that, but I would rather them ask in a nice way, not a, a horrible way. I think a lot of the time people don't know what to say. I mean, that aren't yeah. educated. And hopefully this podcast is going out and, and helping people to become more educated about people with brain injuries. But I guess some people just don't really know what to say. And yeah. so they just yeah. don't say anything. So yeah. what would you say? What would be the best approaches for people to use? I would ask them in a nice and polite way or like in the conversation or oh I've seen your hand doesn't work why is not uh, your hand not working or I don't know it's a really hard one but I would rather them ask me if you're you have a question seeing you as a whole person and, and wanting to get to know you yeah I mean, one thing I would say is I think primary school playgrounds can be brutal for parents. I I think that there's often a lot of playground politics that seem to operate. And um, Hector used to go down and, and collect our children from school. Um, 
and we live in a village, so it was a walk. Um, but actually, one of the parents who always, always talked to him and always came and always asked how he was and stood next to him yeah. is one of our best friends. Yeah. And I think it's finding those people, isn't it? And your allies and and those friends that will, or those people that can develop those friendships because they want to know about you as a person. I'm uh, gradually coming out of the, with the friends and things like that. And uh, um, it's getting better. And the people are like, oh yeah, I, why don't I actually walk, uh, carry that for you? Yeah. And that we don't have to talk. Yeah. But, um, and that's a that's a whole nother level of that social connectedness that that I think is so important for yeah. you as a brain injury survivor, but for the whole family to build those support networks around you in your community. Yeah, it really can, uh, you know, help with exactly those kind of practical things that you said. That that I think often people don't realise what a huge impact that can have. Because yeah. what it means is you're a bit less tired. You're going to be a bit less shouty. You're going to be able yeah. to do a bit more cooking. You're going to have a little bit more time to to go out for your own walk. And, yeah. and you know, just from someone helping you, you do that. And I think that that's building up those connections is so important. Yeah. There's something else I really want to ask you about. And I know time's going. I've been talking for a long time, yeah. um, but very very quickly, I have heard that you are quite a nifty sewer and crafter. Yes. And I've got my my little sewing kit here and my crocheted shawl. So I'm just so excited when, when uh, Elizabeth was telling me that you do all of that. So my yeah. question to you is, how has your sewing, you talked about your creativity earlier, how has that helped in your own rehab? My rehab is... <laughs> all about sewing. I have a fashion design degree um, and before, uh, well, at, at the time of my stroke, I was uh, trying to start up my own loungewear range. Mm. When I had my stroke, I just uh, um, got on to not on high street and <laughs> I, I had some stock and I think my dad had to go and do all the order, uh, um, delivering the stuff. When I had my stroke, my first thought, can I have children? And then they were like, yeah, that's fine. Um, and my second thought was like, okay, I need to get back to work. I decided doing loungewear was not going to fly, but um, before I had started it, my uh, own website and things like that. So I, when I got out of the hospital, um, Dad uh, got me a bigger um, a new computer. I had to really learn everything again. Again, so I, when I um had um my stroke, I couldn't talk or walk, um, and I couldn't see. Well, you, I can, I can see, but I couldn't um write, read or write. Um, so when I got home, I was talking a little bit. My vision had cleared up, so I could not read a book, but 
I was reading things. So I had to really learn. I wanted to draw and things like that. And I was like, I had to learn how to do all this stuff again. My computer was my tool. Um, so I started um, drawing on the computer and um, I basically learned WordPress again um, and built a website and things like that. But it was very much my rehab tool. Um, and I started doing um, baby clothing. Um, so I was printing baby clothing. Then I started um sewing again um my older flatmate's dad um he was an ex-engineer he adapted my sewing machine so I could uh, um so I was right-handed now I'm left-handed but I'm not good with the left hand um sewing machines are made for left-handed people so that's great but the presser foot has it moved into the middle of the right hand. So I couldn't actually put the foot down on my sewing machine. Her dad had to engineer something so I could sew with my sewing machine again. I stopped baby clothing and now I'm trying to make sewing patterns domestic sewing patterns for all people but uh, with a disability and accessibility and flunt and i'm launching a blog in the next week maybe i can launch it before this goes out (laughs) we'll see and that's called make my accessible wardrobe and it's going to be all about my story with clothing um, after being disabled. And I'm going to be trying to show people how I make my um, wardrobe accessible um, and uh, showing, uh, showing people all the different things that you can use or cha- change for um, clothing to be more accessible and uh, make you feel it better about my um, life. That's amazing. I it can't believe amazing. we've waited until nearly the end of our discussion to discover that you were a fashion student and yeah. that you are now launching your own My Accessible Wardrobe. But it will that's fantastic. How great yeah. to hear that. And no wonder you're tired at the end of the day as well, doing that well, into <laughs> children and planning and all the rest of it. It's very, it's very slow focused. But But this progress, my year of, uh, I'm turning forty. I'm a, I'm a, making myself a bit more functional. You are doing a great job, and I think, and maybe Rob would agree with this that you maybe put a lot of pressure on yourself, and (laughs) yeah, and you are doing brilliantly as you are, and even it can take a long time to get a website up and running. And so, you know, be really proud of what you're doing and what you're achieving. And I love the name, by the way. It's amazing. My thing is like, what do I wear? And your confidence and things like that is just, uh, I feel like if you're 
happy in yourself and what you're wearing, you are happy and sometimes yeah. you wear does give you that extra air of confidence yeah and if you feel comfortable in your clothes and you can get to everything that you may need on your person I think it's it's really really brilliant so congratulations to you and thank you both for joining us on a good for, on a good day it's been an absolute pleasure and you know I think there's so much we could get into but it was yeah. been, it's it, you know we've been talking to you for ages and I can you know I'm sure you're getting your fatigue already you'll probably need a nice lie down now Alison or go and watch Frozen with your daughter well <laughs> I think it's been fabulous hearing from both of you um how you're working together and I think you've been so open and honest about your challenges which are so common to to all of us who find ourselves in in the situation that you both have but also what I think has been marvellous is the strategies that you've shared that, that I've taken some really useful things around goal setting particularly, um, but also just thinking about when you said about the biscuits, it certainly made me think, actually, maybe Hector's going yeah. for those because he's tired, not just because he wants yeah. a biscuit. And I don't, I'm not sure I'd quite made that connection before. Well, we'll have to have you on again at some point. And I'd love to hear about how the blog and the patterns and, and everything is going. I will let you get off. Enjoy your yeah. family time. Have a wonderful weekend. And thank you so much for coming on and being so honest about your experiences. And I know this will be so, so beneficial to many people in our audience. And it has been already. It has been to us as well. So thank, thank you. you once again. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.